Let's pray. Father, you alone are good all the time. You are uniquely great. Father, if we call you great, then we have to stop using that word to describe other things. Because there is none as great as you. And when you say your name is I am, Lord, we just want to say to you, you are. And we want to tell the world, he is. Not he was, but he is, and he is to come. And we celebrate, God, today, your goodness to us and the greatness of your renown, your matchless name. Lord, you alone are famous in a world of pretenders. You, Lord, transcend them all. And we want to say out loud, Lord, what we know in our hearts that you are incomparable that you're inescapable, that you're invincible, that you're immortal, that you are close to us now. And Father, we thank you that you are involved in our lives. Help us to commit ourselves anew to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. God is good all the time. So a lot of big things in one weekend, right? I mean, Pippa Middleton got married and uh, cloud computing won the Preakness and senior graduation and Randy, 35 years of ministry here. So we've got a lot going on. Thanks for coming and being a part of this with us today. We are, we are celebrating God's goodness. Remember the first time you realized you were alone? I mean, really alone. I know we live in a world where with transportation, we can get to people. With technology, people can get to us. I mean, there's always somebody. doesn't matter. You know, they talk about New York being the city that never sleeps. But we kind of live in the world that never sleeps. So you can Snapchat or Instagram somebody. Almost any hour of the day, you can be in touch. The 24-hour news cycle, it's a, it's a different kind of world. So in a way... If you don't want to be alone, you've got lots of different ways to be with people these days. But I suspect sooner or later that we all find ourselves alone at some point. And what do you do then? How do you say goodbye to people? That word goodbye is sometimes hard for us to to do. Today's a a day of saying goodbye to to our, our seniors as they graduate Many of them probably grew up reading Lemony Snicket. And Lemony Snicket the, in, the, in the children's book says, um, it's always sad when someone leaves home, unless they're simply going around the corner to bring back ice cream. Then it's not as sad. But we have a sense that when people go away, we'll be alone. And I remember the first time I realized I was alone. It was actually in November of 1980. So I left my parents in, in Montana And I went 1,600 plus miles, came down to Texas because Texas was the family home and I was born here and so we had to get back to Texas, land of milk and honey and so came down here. But I wasn't alone when I got to Texas because my two older brothers were at the same college. So they had cars, which was really cool and so I could go and and, uh, use their cars and so I really wasn't alone. I had a roommate who was a music major who sang at the top of his lungs from sunup to sunset. That was a bit of an adjustment for me, but he was a really good singer, so it wasn't, it wasn't so bad. And then came Thanksgiving, and my brothers had girlfriends, and they went to their homes, and, and uh, my roommate went home to his home. 
And I lived for four days in Martin Dormitory all by myself. Now, this was a time when I regretted all of the Stephen King movies that I had seen. All the scary books I had read in my lifetime, particularly that one with the little kid riding the big wheel down the hallway and all the doors in the empty hotel. I mean, it was a little bit scary. So I thought, you know what I need to do is read a Christian book. So for graduation from high school, some of my friends had given me books and I pulled out a C.S. Lewis book. It was called Screwtape Letters. Just word to the wise, if you are alone in a 500-room dormitory late at night reading books about demons, even if they're by C.S. Lewis, not necessarily a good idea. So what happens when we go away from home? How do we leave well? And how are we still connected with those people that we leave behind? It's an interesting thought. And in the Scriptures, in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, There's the story of one of the great patriarchs and the day that he left home. I'd like to share that story with you this morning. If you'll open your Bibles with me, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. You know this story. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had twin boys named Esau and Jacob who did not particularly get along very well. But Jacob was crafty, kind of sneaky. His name meant grabber. Let's, Let's see how he said goodbye and what he learned. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and his word today. Genesis chapter 28 verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran and when he reached a certain place he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on that stairway. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west And to the east, to the north, to the south, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. House of God, that means. Though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Jacob got out of town while the getting was good. At one level, he had to get out of town because he had lived up to his name. They named him Grabber, Grasper, and he had grabbed everything he could. He took his brother's birthright. 
He took his brother's blessing. And when his brother threatened his life, his family sent him out of town, not just to anywhere, but there were, there were family members in another city where, where Abraham had stopped along the way when he left Ur of the Chaldees and some of the family had stayed there. And so they were sending him to his uncle Laban's house, but he couldn't get there in a day. Couldn't get on Southwest Airlines to get away, so he he walks on this journey. And though he likely lived, we know at the oasis of Beersheba, not just him and his brother and his mom and his dad, not in a little insular home like we live in, he lived in something of an oasis, a tent city. We know in his grandfather's, in his grandfather's household there were hundreds of people, an army that would go out and defend. So he was always surrounded by people. And it sounds like that he got out of town and he was in a hurry because apparently he forgot his pillow. The only reason you lay your head on a rock is because you got no other place to lay your head. And so he lies down and wouldn't you know it, in that place where he was finally all alone, God came to him in a dream. And God said to him, I'm with you. The same thing God says so often in Scripture. Maybe the most prominent promise in all the Scriptures is, I am with you. I will be with you. So God is with him, and it turns out God has plans for him, and God wants to bless him, and God tells him all of this. And when he wakes up, Jacob worships. First time we have a reference to him worshiping. There's lots of story of him Stealing and lying and, and misusing family relationships. But it's the first time he ever has an encounter with God and it changes his life. It transforms him. At some level, what we know is that we can leave a lot of things behind when we go away from home. But I just want to tell you again this morning that our God is the God who travels that there's no place on this earth that you can go that he is not. Abraham Kuyper said, Jesus looks at every molecule and says, that's mine. He made it. He inhabits it. He is omnipresent. God is with us. This is really, really good news. So Dilton Burroughs describes it this way. He says, the Lord watches over us every moment of every day. He's there and he cares about every step and every breath. Now, Jacob was not alone. And I don't know how to break this to you, but neither are you. And if you were to say to me this morning, say, I don't believe in all that. I mean, I just don't believe in that whole God thing. I mean, my parents believe in it, my grandparents believe in that, but I just don't believe in all that. I would say, at one level, it really doesn't matter because he's with you. And when you least expect it, he will show up in amazing ways. And I wonder when God shows up in your life, what you will do. I wonder who you will become in view of what God has done for you. Two thoughts this morning. The first is that God is with you, really with you. This is good news for Jacob when he's alone there. I guess it's good news for him. He, he realizes that he's come from this very religious family. There's not been a whole lot of evidence of religion in his life at this point. But what we know for sure is that the God of his father and his grandfather wants to be his God. That God wants him to personalize it. So he, 
He's been a tough guy to get along with. He's, he's stolen from his brother. He's been unkind. I read an interesting quote this week from a lady named Rachel Kapelke Dale who says, how do we deal with all the people we've been? What happens when we have to confront them? Or as James Montgomery Boyce says uh, about Jacob, maybe about us, if somebody says you're a donkey, don't pay any attention to them. If another person comes to you then and says you're a donkey, don't, don't pay any mind to that. But if a third person comes to you and says you're a donkey, get a saddle. And Jacob needed a saddle because everybody who knew him, in fact, as far as I can tell, the only person who really, really liked him was his mom. But his mom liked him a lot, enough to deceive his dad, enough to tell him to lie to his dad and steal from his brother. It was a very interesting family dynamic. I think there's hope in this. If God can work in Jacob and Esau's lives, I guess he can work in any of our lives. If he can use a person like Jacob, then the, the, the grace of the gospel in the New Testament must be true. Here's what Jacob discovered and what we must discover. It turns out we're worse off than we thought. And we're more loved than we ever dreamed. So Jacob, who has schemed and, and tried and fought and stolen and, and forgot his pillow and lays his head on a rock, finds out that God is there, that God is ultimately inescapable. I read it in Psalm 139 yesterday, the 139th day of the year, as I opened the day with a psalm, actually running with a friend of mine who recited this passage of Scripture. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. As Jonah discovered, you can run, but you can't hide. And God is this inescapable God who pursues us in love. One of my favorite theologians is John R.W. Stott. Really, I think, made as much contribution to the Christian world in the years that he lived as anybody living at that time. Died a few years ago. And he said, the reason I'm a follower of Christ is not because uh, I just was such a good person that I just decided, no, it was because the hound of heaven would not let me go. So it's Francis Thompson's poem. You know this uh, it says, I fled him down the nights and down the, the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind. And in the mist of tears, I hid from God. And under running laughter, up vistaed hopes, I sped and shot precipitated it down titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet. Notice capital F there. That followed, followed after. And stronger than the feet is the voice with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. God is this hound of heaven. He is the love that will not let us go. And God pursues us and he says to Jacob, and I just want us to hear this today, I want to hear God saying to us as well, I'm with you. 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And the beautiful anthems that the choir has sung for us this morning, just these truths are are deeply embedded. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will not leave you. I won't leave you when the floods come. I won't leave you when the fire comes. I will be with you. He says to Moses, I'm with you. That's your only strength. He, He says to Joshua, I'll be with you the same way I was with Moses. And Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to ascend into the heavens, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. What difference does God's presence make in our lives? How differently will we live in our families, in our homes? Maybe, maybe we're leaving because we can't wait. We're fed up with the setup. I remember one of our sons who'll go nameless, packed up all of his belongings in boxes about three months before he left home. He put them all in one corner of a closet. He didn't have a whole lot of stuff. He always gave his stuff away to his brother who turned up having a lot of stuff. And, and I said, well, why did you pack up all your stuff? He said, well, I just wanted to make room for y'all to have this empty room here. You, you guys probably need an empty room. And I said, you don't sound like you're coming back. You planning to come back for Thanksgiving? We'll be here on Thanksgiving. Or you can stay in Penland Dormitory, and I'll give you a good C.S. Lewis book to read. You could, you could do that. Or you could come home. And our second son, totally different. This was interesting. I'm not even sure he made his bed. And he, he, he's leaving home, and on his way out the door, he says, I want everything the way I left it, and don't give my room to my little sister. Don't do That's my room. Now, there came a time when she wrote him a letter explaining why she needed the bigger room, and he uh, read the letter and then gave her the room. But as he was leaving home, it was like, I, and it was so funny because he went farther away. And this is what I would say to you. Will you be present and accounted for in your family, or will you cut off from them? I'm not just talking about physically, but emotionally. Will you be present and accounted for? Or will you be just glad to get out of town? Because there will come a day after he sits down to a big banquet of consequences that Jacob has to come face to face with the brother that he cheated. It's a beautiful love story. When his brother forgives him, he says, since you've forgiven me, it's like seeing the face of God. And we can be away from our families, but still be connected to our families. Not controlling them, not being controlled by them, as Murray Bowen says, but living in a healthy relationship where we're always present and accounted for. So we're there for the birthdays and the holidays, and we're together with our families. One thing is for sure, that when we leave home, we can't leave God. So God manifests his presence and then God makes some promises to him. You can see these there in verses 14 and following when, G- when God says to him, so I'm going to give you this land. Here's a guy who has nothing. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Does this sound familiar? Jesus who didn't have a place to lay his head. I'll follow you, Jesus. He said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. I have no place to lay my head. And he says, yeah, this land is going to be yours and your family is going to spread out. And they're going to be like the dust of the earth. When our, when our artists were uh, creating this room, the grains of sand are right above the ram's head up there in that, that picture in the stained glass as a reminder to us that God's 
people would spread across the earth and that, that he would be not only blessed, I mean, God loves to bless, but that he would also be a blessing. And this is a transition in Jacob's life because Jacob has always kind of made deals, you know, and you can even hear it when he answers God and he says, so if you'll do all this for me, here's what I'll do for you, God. I'll give you a tenth of what you've given to me. Lord, I'll tithe if you'll really bless my life. And it's as if he's trying to make a deal with God and You know, I think the Lord must look at us sometimes when we do this conditional love thing and say, Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Lord, help me to get an A on this test. Lord, help me to have a relationship with that person. Lord, help me to get into this school. Lord, help me to get that kind of job. When we do that, Lord, if you'll do that for me, I'll do this for you. So God's not a let's make a deal kind of God. I remember Stephen Covey's famous story about the man who's steering his ship and and he's out in the water and he, and he notices that there's a ship coming straight at him. And, and so he sends a message and says, hey, I notice we're on the same course. You need to alter your course 10 degrees. And the message comes back, you alter your course 10 degrees. And he, he messages back and says, I'm a captain, alter your course 10 degrees. And the message comes back, I'm a seaman fourth class. I'm a lot lower than you, alter your course. Now he's really mad and he says, I am a battleship. Alter your course, and the message comes back. So I'm a lighthouse. Alter your course. And God is the lighthouse. And Jacob's been able to finagle his way around everybody, but he can't deceive God. We can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time, but God, none of the time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, I've got plans for you, Jacob. I've got plans for you. And how do we know Jacob is beginning to transform? How do we know that he has changed? Well, he, he sees this staircase. It's not really a ladder like those little step ladders we have in our homes. It's not even like the big metal ladder that I don't even know how to use that's in my garage. It's, it's more like, it's called a ziggurat. It's more like, I think it's like that walkway. If you're going into Reliance Stadium, you're going up to the nosebleeds. And they got that sort of walkway that goes up and up and up and up. And, and there are angels ascending and descending. And the thing about angels is they're, they're pretty scary. And so they usually have to say, don't be afraid. The first thing they say, don't be afraid. Why? Because they're not to be taken lightly. And he says to God, you are awesome in this place. The King James had it a little better, I think, dreadful in this place. But it doesn't make as good of a chorus, does it? You are dreadful in this place. Mighty God. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't sing that song. But, but what he's really saying, it says he's afraid. He's trembling. And he doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't know. And he's got this reverence and this awe. And sometimes I think we've lost this in worship. We're all about revelry. We're all about relevance. But we've forgotten revelation. We've forgotten reverence. We've forgotten that God really is awesome. Not the same way that Torchies is. It's not exactly like that. And Torchies is good. But God is awesome. To be feared, to be reverenced, to be held in great awe. For the first time, Jacob meets somebody who's bigger than Jacob. And that's a big moment in our lives. David McCullough captures that, David McCullough Jr., and says, So it's a great moment in your life. The great and curious truth of the human experience is that selflessness is the best thing you can do for yourself. He's been selfish, now he's selfless. And this is the beginning of a transformation. And this is the power of the gospel. And here's the real story. You actually catch it in John chapter 1 when, um, when 
Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, we think we found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Yeah, I doubt that the Messiah comes from Nazareth. And so they go and meet Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. What does that mean? What kind of guy was Nathaniel? And then Jesus says to him, and I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And I don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. The Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know is that when Jesus says that, Nathaniel realizes, oh, so you know. You know me. You know everything about me. You know me. So you must be the Messiah. And there comes a moment in our lives when we realize God is not only with us, but God is also for us. God wants to work in our lives in amazing ways and draw us to himself. And so the real journey is not just your journey in life. It's not just Jacob's journey, but it's Jesus' journey all the way from heaven down to earth. And he comes to his disciples on that last night when they're so afraid because he's going away and says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I've told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he comes in John chapter 14 to verses 15 to 23. These are being read by Christians all around the world today. I suppose we ought to at least see them as well. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to give you another comforter, an advocate. He'll be with you forever. The Spirit. How is God with us? Through the Holy Spirit. And the world doesn't understand him. But you do because, because Jesus says, I, I live with you. And I will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. But I will come to you for long. The world won't see me, but you'll see me because I live, you'll also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And in verse 23, it's beautiful. He says, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and I are going to make our home in you. So what if, what if home is not a place? I mean, Jacob does come back to Bethel. God promised that and he does. In the house of God. But God doesn't live in a rock. And it's interesting how Jacob's always wrestling with rocks, isn't it? Must have been a pretty big rock that he slept on. And then he moves the rock from the well. Remember that part of the story? And then, and then uh, he builds a stack of rocks when he betrays his father-in-law. And he runs for his life. And his father-in-law catches him. He's always, you know, if, if Adam was dusty last week, well, maybe Jacob is, is rocky. And his life is kind of rocky. But then he runs into the rock of reckoning. And he can't push this rock out of the way. Because this rock is God who loves him perfectly and wants him to become something that he's never been. And he's been taken from people his whole life. And for the first time in Jacob's life, he says the word give. I mean, as far as we can tell, he says, I'll give to you. That's transformation, right? Remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, where it says, those of you who used to steal... Now you're going to, because of Christ, you're going to work with your hands so that you can give to others. That's, that's what the gospel does. It's not just praying a prayer and walking through water. It's the beginning of a life transformation that continues for a lifetime. It's a long obedience. It's walking with him and being conformed to the image of God's son. That's what God is about in our lives. And it's not a momentary experience. It's a lifelong experience of God changing us and making us into who he wants us to be. Alan Hightower was back with his family in the last service, um, and he posted on Facebook this week that his daughter, who's 11, is reading Little Women for the second time, which is very impressive to me. I don't know about you, but that's very impressive to me. And a favorite passage in it that he blessed his daughter with, that I just want to bless you with, where in that, in that passage, Marchie says, if you feel your value lies in being merely decorative, 
I fear that someday you might find yourself believing that's all that you really are. Time erodes all such beauty. What it cannot diminish is the wonderful workings of your mind, your humor, your kindness, and your moral courage. The way we look changes over time, maybe not for the good, but, but who we are That remains. These are the things I cherish in you, so I wish I could give my girls a more just world. But I know you'll make it a better place. And here's the thing. For the world to become a better place, is it just me, or don't we have to become different people? And transformed people transform the world. So God is changing us. Why? So that we can change the world. And he does this in a community. And I found when I was uh, 1,600 miles away from home, there was a church, Calvary in Waco, where I found a home. And there are churches in the places where all of our students are going. I mean, I, don't, I haven't been to all those places, but th- there are churches there. People who love God with a pure heart fervently. And if we can find the people of God, yeah, we can always find our way home from there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get to love you And to listen to your word today, I pray that you would continue to transform us in ways that matter. I pray, Lord, like Nathaniel and the disciples, that we would see the angels ascend and descend on the stairway who is Jesus. That you are the way and the truth and the life. And I know that you are with us and for us. And I pray today, Lord, you would hear us when we say, we want to be with you consciously with you and for you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.